You did really well, by the way. I know sometimes it's hard for us to do that kind of thing, but it's a good activity to recognize what we're thankful for. It's an even better activity to praise God. It's an even better activity to audibly praise God. Not only does it honor God, but it can change something inside of us and make us recognize how we can become more like Jesus Christ as we walk as disciples of Christ. And this week, of course, we prepare for this moment of national thanksgiving. We've set aside a day to say thanks. Uh, this morning, we're going to bring up that very same issue of, of thanks to God. And as you sit down at the table on Thursday and you're giving thanks, let us recognize, even beginning now, who we really should thank. Who we really should thank for what we have. And this rounds out this entire sermon series we've been talking about, where we've been talking about generosity, God's generosity towards us, the very fact that uh, as disciples of Jesus Christ, if we've said yes to Jesus, we should be transformed from the inside out in all parts of who we are into the image of Christ. And we've zeroed in specifically on the issue of generosity because as it turns out, we should be thankful because God is generous. Oh, God is generous towards us. And that generosity should transform who we are. It all goes together. And so this morning, it, all the sermon series has been, in a sense, looking at our response to God. But this morning, that's clearly what we're looking at, is our response to a generous God. I, was, um, I learned an important lesson a number of years ago when I was in graduate school. Some of you know the story, uh, perhaps, but I was sitting in a lecture hall before the, the lecture began. I was sitting uh, next to Born and Ray. Thing he offered me an orange uh, before class. I said, "No thanks. I'm not hungry." And he was deeply offended, Just very offended by this that I said, "No thanks," to the gift. But he was graceful with me, and he explained it. He said, "Where I come from, if somebody offers you a gift." You don't refuse, you take it, right? Because I wasn't, it wasn't, had nothing to do with the fact that I was hungry or not hungry for an orange. It had to do with acceptance or reject, uh, rejecting what he gave me, which also had something to do with the giver, not just the gift, as it turned out. And I learned something very important about receiving gifts to do so, and to do so thankfully. And we have to do that with God, who is generous, who gives us a lot that we don't even fully recognize. And our response should be thanks, first and foremost. And so I want to look at, at Jesus' words in Matthew 6. If you're following along today, we're going to hang around in Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. We'll take it in two parts. I'll bring in a couple other passages, but if you're following, you can just stay in Matthew 6, and you'll be able to track along quite nicely. Jesus, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour, to your life. We'll get to the issue of worry in a moment that Jesus brings up, 
but there is a sense that stands behind this that we should recognize the giver, that we should be thankful. And I would suggest that throughout Scripture you get this impression that we are supposed to respond to God with thanks for what we have. And so the first thing I want to point out this morning is a very simple thing, that we should be thankful, and we should be thankful that we are alive, that we have life, that God in his grace has given us that. We've talked in the past about a couple different forms of God's grace, common grace, and uh, we've talked about efficacious grace, that which affects salvation in us. I want to focus on common grace again for just a moment. Grace is this unmerited favor of God that we've been given. Common grace is a concept that God continually cares for us, whether we say thanks or not, whether we recognize it or not. We have life because God gave it in his graciousness. And whether we recognize that God gave it or not, God's still going to give it to each of us. And, and the key verse that, that I bring up with this is from Hebrews 1.3, where it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So God, whether we recognize it or not, through Jesus Christ, has created and sustains the world as it is. It doesn't save us to have that kind of grace given towards us. It gives us the platform by which we could say yes, then. Because we have life in the first place, then we can say yes to salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's very important to recognize how big of a deal this is. It says that he sustains all things by his powerful muscles? No. By his powerful workforce that he delegates things out to? No. By his powerful word. I don't know if you've noticed the resurgence in popular culture uh, of magic and, and those sorts of things within the TV shows and movies that we watch. It's always been around, but it seems like it's gotten a new play recently um, that somebody has to have the right spell or the right wand or the right totem or object or have the right amount of toad or something like that in whatever potion they're making. But, but you can watch in popular culture that in so many of the shows and movies that are out there that magic is in there and you have to aim it in the right direction to say the right words with it and sometimes it doesn't work. Do you notice that there's not even an ounce of that in here? And sometimes you even have these characters that are like godlike characters in shows and movies that are out and still they fail. God does, sustains the world that we're living in not by the right spell, not by the right combination of things. He just speaks it and it happens or doesn't happen. That's power. And it's going to be right every time. That's power. And that God who sustains whether we thank God or not loves you and me. That's a huge deal. That's an enormous deal for us to consider. We're not saved by the fact that we have life, but we're given the platform by which we could say yes to Jesus, you see. And that's a big deal. We should be thankful first and foremost that we have life at all. And so Jesus is bringing us into that world. Look at the birds of the air. They're not worried about this stuff. They're not sowing or they're reaping or they're putting in storehouses. Don't worry. But we might say, but isn't there a right time to worry? Couldn't we worry a little bit? Jesus says, don't worry about these things. The word that he's using, and that gets used here in, in Greek, could go positively or negatively when it comes to this concept. It can go with concern. We even heard that this morning uh, in, in Philippians. It's got that little bit of concern there. 
but it can also go negatively to say worry, right? To go beyond the bounds of normal concern to something where, where we're overwhelmed by the concern so much that that is all we're thinking about. Why can't I worry? Jesus is talking, let's recognize, in the Sermon on the Mount to the inside crowd, to, to a, a group of people who were uh, constituted essentially Israel, the people chosen to deliver God's message to the world. He's talking to them. By and large, that group of people is living at a subsistence level, sowing and reaping, storing in barns, knowing that a bad harvest means we're going to have to ration food a little bit more, and it's going to be harder, and some people might not make it. If you have a really bad year, famine comes. They're living at a worry level if they're not careful. Jesus says, do not worry. Basically, he's not saying you can't have concern. Of course we can have concern, right? right? God's not saying he's just going to drop food in your lap because you did nothing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't be overwhelmed by the needs of this world and put them out of perspective with what God has really called you to do, who God has called you to be, you see. He's speaking out of a kingdom concern. Put your concerns in the right order. That's a very important point about this. Life is more than just surviving, Jesus is saying. We have grace of life, breath, etc., but God has bigger ambitions for us. We have the platform to step into the kingdom. Those are our concerns. He's going to bring that up in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. The other things are going to fall in order. God's going to take care of you. Now, we should recognize that sometimes we're a little... Uh, not quite on the same page as God is about maybe what concerns we should have and what wants versus needs are, and we transfer those categories over a little bit about some of these things. And Jesus says, don't worry. Seek first his kingdom. He's going to tell us, and his righteousness. God's going to take care of you. It might look different than we expect, but the promise is still the same. We need to, though, work out of a place of thanksgiving and thankfulness in order to live that out. You can see a biblical picture of people who uh, were thankful and people who were not thankful. All throughout scripture, you get a combination of both people. If you look at the unthankful category, we can see someone like Cain versus Cain and Abel, right? Cain gave a, a gift to God, but it wasn't the right, uh, he didn't have the right attitude. We'll say that. The type wasn't the issue. It was, it was the heart issue and the stuff that he was giving. It wasn't the best he wasn't giving the first and the best. He was just giving something. And you can sense if you watch that progression of conversation from Cain, between Cain and God that he's a little less than grateful through the whole scenario. Job, you look at Job. Now, Job held it together pretty well, but his buddies didn't as well. And they give him some pretty terrible advice that I think pushes Job to the edge of kind of that relationship between creator and creature where he starts to think he knows a little bit more and then God finally comes to him and says, and it's a terrifying moment if you read Job, right? When God says, sit down, you're going to take this like a man. We're going to talk this through. I can't imagine hearing those words from God. Jonah, sort of the pinnacle of ungratefulness in the Old Testament, right? God says, deliver this message to these people. Jonah says, I hate those people. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go to the other end of the known world from where you asked me to go. God rather miraculously brings him back on course. He delivers the message, and then he sits under a vine that God ends up killing, and he says, I might as well just die, God. This is awful. These people I hate now turn their heart towards you after repenting, and now I'm hot, right? That's, that's his whole attitude towards the end of the book. There's a sort of ungratefulness there, 
And we can have that if we're not careful. But you can also see this source of gratefulness and thanks as a response to God throughout Scripture. You look at the Exodus, the Passover meal. Every year, they're instructed, repeat this meal every year. And when your kids ask you, why are we doing this? Tell them it's because God delivered us from Egypt. We're thankful. That's why we do this together. We're thankful and recognizing God's grace towards us. We could never have freed ourselves. You got a glimpse of that in the Deuteronomy 26 text this morning. It goes a little further. When you're going to enter the land, every year bring forth the fruit, the bounty of the land, because God owns it all, and you're saying thanks with that. Yeah, you're providing for the needs, but you're also just plain expressing thanks to God for the deliverance from Exodus and bringing us into the land and giving us the bounty of the land. You see all the way a great example in Acts 2, where, of course, a lot happens in chapter 2 of Acts. You have Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends. Then Peter gets up and delivers a message that explains the gospel and why the Messiah came and what that means for everybody. Repent, be baptized, he rounds it out. And then you see the early church at work living out the message of the gospel as they share with one another, they break bread, they teach, they follow the disciples' instructions, they follow what Jesus is saying, and they're generous with everybody. They're working out of a place of thanks. You can see this picture throughout Scripture. Jesus says, put things in the right order when he's telling us in Matthew 6. Don't worry. You can have a concern. That's fine. Don't worry about these things. Put first God and God's kingdom. Draw close to the one who is righteous. The other things are going to fall into place. And so we go on, because he's going to say that. If you go to 28 and following, why do you worry about clothes, Jesus says? See how the flowers of the field grow, They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have to work out of a place of thanksgiving in response to God, to be thankful. But it has to move us further, that the right response to God, to God's work, is to seek God's ways. We're not just passively thankful. God, your righteousness. Just like we praised God, we see all these character characteristics of who God is. For being made into Christ, for being led in that direction. That's an active response to what God has done in our lives. How do we achieve this then? And here I'll give you a few points as I reflected on this text, and I'll bring in just a couple of the texts that I think amplify this. How do we achieve the response of being thankful, working out of that place, but then also seeking God and God's ways? Being kingdom people in a world that isn't kingdom-minded, if you will. The first thing is a real chicken soup for the soul answer, right? Count your blessings. I think this is a great week where we can easily say that it preaches well this week, count your blessings, but it's really true, isn't it? And I would suggest to you this. Complacency breeds ingratitude. Right? We can easily take things for granted. Complacency breeds ingratitude. When we start to take for granted the things that we've been given in this life, 
we get a little bit less than grateful without even realizing it. It just affects us. So we already heard a great example, thank you, Dan, this morning of, of water coming from the tap. I mean, we should be really thankful for this, right? I have water coming from my tap, hot or cold. If I want water this morning, right now, I've got some in a cup. I went to the washroom in here and got it right out of the sink. It was cold water. It was great. I didn't have to walk two hours one way to get it. And it wasn't the temperature of the air with parasites in it. That's a pretty big thing. I have food in my pantry. We do. We have food in our pantry. Even when we think the cupboards are bare, you and I know we could put together a meal, couldn't we? Even if it might not be our favorite, we would not starve. Water from the tap, food in our pantry, clothes. The fact that we can use plural is a big deal when it comes to clothes, right? I have shirts that I don't even wear. I've been trying to get rid of them. I look at them, and then, of course, you justify it. Well, I might wear it on so-and-so day, right? No, I won't. I should get rid of the shirt. I'm not wearing it. I have shoes, multiple. I wear them until they're worn out. I should get rid of them earlier than I do. My wife sometimes might help me on that, but I have multiples. And, and we do. We have multiples of these things well beyond necessity. The very fact that we have air that we can breathe that's clean and that we have the ability, and we think about this in our house a lot, to transfer it in and out. It's a huge deal. We have that ability. But complacency breeds ingratitude without even recognizing it. Recognizing it. Sometimes we can say, oh yeah, God, I've got water that comes out of the top hot and cold. I've got food, I've got clothing, I've got air that's coming in in my lungs, and that's wonderful, and I can move and I can walk. What else you got? Right? Without even realizing it, we can kind of walk down with that attitude. I can do it. Great Proverbs, Proverb 30 brings us into this path. It's one of my favorites. Augur. It's one of these random Proverbs at the end that's so great. Sayings of Augur. He says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Do you hear that? Just give me my daily bread, he says. And, and the key verse is verse 9. He says, otherwise I may have too much and disown you. Complacency, right, breeds ingratitude. We might just reject God. I got, I got it covered, God. I got all this stuff. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Rather amplifies, I think, what Jesus is saying. Let's not lose focus here in the concerns of this world over God and God's kingdom and what he's bringing us to and who he's forming us to be. So count your blessings. The second thing I would say that follows from that is trade worry for thanksgiving. When it does come on, and it can, and for some of us it's not even worry about scarcity, it's kind of like Jesus talks about in the parable of the soils where uh, the, the thorns come in and we get the concerns of this world overtake us. So it's not that we're lacking something, it's all the other stuff in the world that overtakes us. Things that we think are, are now needs that are really just wants, that are extra on top of that. Those kinds of things. Trade worry for thanksgiving. Around our house, we use a line from uh, Covenant Pastor Craig Groeschel. Uh, he says, don't let what you want rob you of what you have. Isn't that a great line? We use it over and over. Don't let what you want rob you of what you have. We've been given a lot. Be thankful for that. Don't always be coveting what you don't have, right? And you can see this in the small things too, right? Also around our house, 
you know, we'll have some treat or something like that. Here, have a cookie. Can I have another one? No, you can't. Aw. And it's like, wait, can't you be thankful for the one you had? But how often do we do that? It's, it's easy to take for granted. Count your blessings. Trade worry for Thanksgiving. Don't be so concerned about the things that we don't have that we can't change. Be worried about God's priorities. And the other thing Jesus says will fall into place. And Paul gives us a line from Philippians that follows in the same suit here. When he, we heard it this morning, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Same word Paul's using here in Greek, anxious, is the same word Jesus uses for do not worry, or that's used in the Gospel of Matthew that we heard. It's the same word. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul advises us, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Hand it over. Start being thankful. I've been trying this over the last couple weeks. When you start to, 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 your mind starts to move to the things you can't change, to stop and say, well, I'm going to be thankful for something. And I'm going to be thankful for something I might not be normally thankful for. I've tried to think of the more rare things. And it does something. It changes something. Be thankful. Trade worry for thanksgiving. Count your blessings. The third thing I would say as a response to God and God's work in us is to be generous because you're thankful. We worship a generous God. We're supposed to be transformed by that generosity. Be generous because you are, in fact, thankful for God's generosity turned towards you. So uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. The other thing is going to fall into place. The other things will be given to you as well, but seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness first. Move towards those things. God's right, God is right, and God is just. That's what we're getting in that whole package term of righteousness. And we're supposed to walk in that direction as far as virtue is concerned, to be made into something else, the image of Christ. It's done by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it takes effort in our walking in the right direction and being attentive to what God is doing in us. We have to be thankful. We have to walk in a thankful direction and recognize that because God's generous to us, it doesn't just stop with us as if we can just be a cup where everything just pours into us and then stops, but it needs to run over. We need to be generous. I was thinking about, as we round this out, I was thinking about it this week and um, the right response to God's work is to seek God's ways, that we need to be thankful first and foremost and work out of a place of thanksgiving. And we can sometimes fail to count our blessings. We can sometimes fail to be thankful. Do you find it interesting? And I, I was reflecting on uh, a few different things. The movie Singing in the Rain. Anybody know the Singing in the Rain? It's a classic, right? You've got the famous dance scene singing in the rain. Hey, good title, right? It's the, t it's the main sequence of the movie. If you watch the movie, nobody has to explain to you and I'm just about to, right? Why he's dancing in the rain and singing in the rain. He's happy. In fact, he's happy despite the weather conditions, isn't he? Those actually, in fact, seem to amplify his happiness. I'm going to dance in the rain from the lamppost, and then we see the famous picture, and we know he's happy. Uh, we just ended a long, it seemed like a really long political season. Some of you are getting nervous because I said politics, but don't. I'm not going to get political other than to say this. People were at political rallies, right, for both sides. What do they do with those? They cheer, they chant, they get excited, right? 
I don't have to explain to you why they get excited. No news article had to explain to you why they get excited. We might have to explain the policies and what, what it is specifically about them, but the mere fact that people are there, they're excited to be there. Recently, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, a certain baseball team won the World Series after 108 years. Anybody notice the Cubs? Heard of them? They won. After 108 years of waiting around and hoping and hoping and hoping, they are the most hopeful fans ever. Every Cubs fan I've ever met. Every year they were going to win the series. They finally did. What happened? In a away game, they won the World Series. I don't even know if there are any Indians fans in the stadium. All I saw were Cubs fans. What did they do at the end of the game? They were singing. And you'll notice there were no news headlines the next morning telling us why they were singing, were there? We knew. We know why the guy's dancing in the rain and singing in the rain. We recognize why people get fired up and they're yelling at political rallies. We recognize why when the Cubs win the series after 108 years of not winning the series, people are singing. And they're all doing it together with no choir director, right? They're singing in the way game. They're excited. We should be that excited about being thankful as our response to God. Sometimes it's easy to come to worship and say, why do we sing these songs? I've heard it over the years. Why do we sing it all? I've heard it over the years. Why do we do all this stuff? We should be excited to be together and worship God, the God of the universe who sustains all things by his powerful word and yet cares about you and me in our day-to-day lives. Don't worry about a thing because if you're with me, I'm with you. We should be excited to open up God's life-changing word and be changed and meet God in the pages of the text. We should be excited to sit in God's presence in prayer. Count your blessings. Trade worry for thanksgiving. Respond with generosity. That's the trajectory. If we work out of an attitude of thanks, those things are going to come far easier to us. We're not going to have to explain them to anybody. We need to enjoy the presence of God. Be thankful as our response. We are simply responding to a generous and good God. Let us do that this week, and let us not stop this week after the turkey goes cold. Let us continue to be thankful, to praise and worship our God from an attitude of thankfulness. Let's pray together. God, you are good, and as we sit here and we think about all the ways that you're good and all the things that we have to be thankful for, bring them to mind, but help us work out of an attitude of thanksgiving. And if, if there are those who are sitting here this morning, God, who do not know your son, Jesus Christ, God, bring them in. If you don't know Jesus, say yes right now. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to me later. Let's say yes together. And God, for those of us that are feeling dry in this room, feeling like we recognize your thanksgiving, but, but we feel a little distant, draw close to us right now that we would be thankful as we walk out of this place and recognize your presence in a new way. Bring to mind passages of scripture to our minds that we didn't even know we knew that would draw us closer to you. Help us sing with joy songs that previously we thought were kind of boring. God, help us hear your voice even when we think we can't. Help us be thankful and respond to the work that done our lame. But God, that has to start with us knowing who you are and how you've worked. So help us be a thankful people.
people. We pray this in your name. Amen.